market rate, £3,000 a day. Were you signing Lionel Messi? This is First Minister's questions. Just once, just once it would be nice to get a First Minister's answer. Any political party in this chamber that was confident in their arguments around independence would not be desperate to deny the people of Scotland the right to make that choice. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome to the Scotsman's political podcast, The Steamy. My name is Connor Matcher. I'm the Deputy Political Editor at The Paper. And with me this week, as per usual, is Alistair Grant, our Political Editor. Um, We're having to do this um, kind of old COVID style today due to the fact that the budget was delayed yesterday initially, and we'll go into why, but also that we didn't actually finish work. I don't know when you finished, Alistair. I left at half seven from Holyrood. Um, so it was a long day yesterday. We didn't have a chance to to record the podcast, but otherwise, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. This is kind of the boxing day of Scottish politics. It's the, kind of the day after the main event and you're kind of feasting on the scraps of what's <laughs> not been covered in the budget already. Although obviously it's all extremely important. And you also feel kind of like semi hungover having, you know, stared at lines of numbers for five hours straight yeah it's like boxing day except without any of the elements that make boxing day fun mm. all or any of the elements that make christmas day fun because there was no drink either last night true <laughs> <laughs> anyway on to the to the main event obviously the scottish budget is the biggest event of the year certainly in terms of politics in scotland and in Holyrood. alistair take us through kind of the absolute basics what you need to know how this affects people what the headline announcements were from Mr. John Swinney. Yeah, so I think in terms of the top lines, as we'd say in journalism of the Scottish budget, uh, the immediate one is tax, the impact on tax. It tends to be the the main story every single budget, to be honest. And this year, it's basically that more than half a million Scots will have to pay more income tax next year. So that's everyone earning more than £43,662 will pay more. And that's because the higher rate of tax uh, will rise from 41p to 42p. In the pound, the top rate will increase from 46p to 47p. Meanwhile, the top rate threshold will be lowered uh, to £125,000. Well, £125,140, if you want to be exact, (laughs) from £150,000, which mirrors changes made down south. So this breaks uh, SNP manifesto pledge in the holiday election. It kind of pledged to freeze rates and thresholds. um, But... John Swinney very much saying that uh, the world has changed a lot since then. And I think he was kind of, the SP very much pitching, or the SNP Green government, I suppose, very much pitch, pitching these tax rises as uh, putting more money into health and social care, essentially. If you want more money for the NHS, you've got to pay for it. And this is what we'll use that money for. Um, there's a lot of talk about the social contract and that kind of idea that if you want these public services, you need to pay for them. And it's worth remembering that those earners, I mean, we often talk in journalism about middle-class Scots you know, middle Scotland. And that is true. But those earners, those people, even in the higher rate, even those people earning more than, you know, around £43,000 are in the top 10% of earners in Scotland. I think a lot of the people earning that kind of money forget that. They are in the top 10%. They're already the higher earners in Scotland. And so the idea is that they should then pay more when we're going through this period of economic turmoil. Um, obviously, there are people who disagree with this, who don't see it as the best route forward, particularly business leaders, 
people like the Scottish Chamber of Commerce raising concerns is going to hit Scotland's competitiveness compared to the rest of the UK in terms of attracting people to live and work in Scotland. There are real concerns about behavioural impacts. Um, I mean, often you see stories about people kind of fleeing Scotland to escape tax rises. And I think that's quite drastic, the idea that someone would uproot their life to escape a 1% tax rise. But it is true that it affects behaviour in other ways. You know, maybe particularly the very wealthy, those in the top rate, who maybe have um, a house in London and a house in Scotland can change their tax arrangements, can change where they pay tax. It's almost kind of a paper exercise for them. There's also maybe problems for kind of big businesses, financial sector and attracting people to come and live and work in Scotland. And at the end of the day, although there's comparatively very few people in that top rate of tax, you know, if they change their behaviour, even if it's a small change, it has a big impact because they pay a lot of tax. So yeah, tax is one of the big issues. I think away from that, um, councils and other focus. So John Swinney was saying that local authorities will receive a funding boost of £550 million in the budget. Councils will dispute this. Um, but crucially, councils will also be given the freedom to set their own council tax rates, which paves the way, you would have thought, for substantial council tax rises. Uh, councils were given this power last year, but crucially, last year we had, or at the time of the last year's budget, we had an upcoming uh, council elections, so the kind of incentive to raise taxes has maybe diluted a little bit, whereas this year you could maybe begin to see those substantial council tax rises, which combined with the income tax rises could could be really noticeable for a lot of people. The other One of the other main points was that that £20 million earmarked for a second independence referendum next year that was in the Scottish Government's resource spending review will now be used to help those at risk of fuel poverty. So it's been redeployed. That would have been something that if they kept that money in place, the opposition, particularly Scottish Conservatives, would have been outraged, it's fair to say. Uh, as it is, Alex Salmond's Alaba party are outraged that the Scottish Government, you know, in their words, have put up the white flag, seem to have completely given up on this idea of a referendum next year. Elsewhere, benefits uprated by the September rate of inflation, basic rate of business rates frozen all, that's a measure to help those smaller businesses. And I think just finally, underpinning all of this was the kind of forecast by the Scottish Fiscal Commission, which is the Scottish government's official forecaster, but it's completely independent of government. And they made for extremely grim reading, to be honest. We've got a warning that households are expected to see the biggest real, ter real terms fall in their disposable income since records began in 1998. And if you combine that with everything else that's going on, it's, uh, yeah, it's quite a grim picture. It was an interesting, it kind of summed up, I think, the the challenge for for the government this year was that the Scottish Fiscal Commission in their document, you know, highlighted the nominal increase to the Scottish budget, which I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was around 1.7 billion, you know, comparing last year to this year in increased nominal spending power. But when inflation was taken into account, this was only 279 million extra for the for the budget. Now that takes into account Barnet consequentials increased from Jeremy Hunt's autumn statement. It, it takes into account all of these tax changes, takes into account spending cuts, and yet the government is still there really struggling to find additional money for services that are desperately in need of it. It's interesting to see what will happen going forward, particularly with council tax, isn't it? I mean, we're yet to hear officially from COSLA, which is the, the representative body of all the, all the councils, what they think this means. But the, the mood music from senior figures hasn't been great, has it, for the last couple of days, you know, particularly last late last night, where they were saying, you know, this £550 million 
um, for local authorities is only going to be £71 million in reality. But we're yet to see the working on that. Yeah, I mean, we're quite used to this kind of budget clash now between local government and the Scottish government. Um, And the argument from local government, uh, which is true, is that the Scottish government has not passed on its increases in funding in comparative terms to local government. Um, So they feel very much squeezed. And at the same time, you've got this situation in Scotland where more and more funding to local government is ring-fenced for Scottish government priorities. Um, So councils actually don't have a lot of choice over how they spend a lot of their uh, allocated funding. Um, And what they do have choice over to spend is getting more and more squeezed because of those priorities. Uh, And councils can sometimes be considered a very kind of unsexy bit of politics um, <laughs> speaking as a former council reporter you know a lot of people seem to think it's boring or it's not that interesting but it affects your life to a huge degree just in terms of basic public services the city you live in the environment in which you live and um, we're getting into a situation now where you know councils would argue there's there's just not much left to cut a lot of these basic services we take for granted are going to feel the impact and we've seen the impact haven't we over the summer in edinburgh of when these services are withdrawn. I mean, it's not, we don't have to think that very, very long ago to think about the bin services strikes and the mounds of of rubbish during the fringe. And council tax is one of the least progressive taxes, I think, that Scotland currently has. It's been an SNP commitment to reform it for as long as they've been around as a serious political party. Um, They've never bothered to do it. There was no indication in the budget yesterday that they've got plans to do it this year or in the, in the lifetime of the parliament. And I don't know about you, but council tax for, for us in in a kind of Edinburgh flat is one of the biggest outgoings of our, of our monthly amount. If that goes up by inflation, which is 10%, that's a hefty addition to people's bills. And, you know, maybe the Scottish government just want to pass that decision on to councils directly rather than worrying about finding the funding internally. Yeah, I thought it was interesting when John Swinney, the Deputy First Minister, Acting Finance Secretary, was speaking to journalists yesterday after he delivered the budget and was kind of saying, obviously highlighting this funding they're giving to councils, but essentially saying that double-digit council tax rises, for example, would not be justified. So they are very much putting pressure on councils to not raise council tax by too much, but at the same time, putting pressure on them in other ways. I mean, councils are just an extremely squeezed part of life and obviously live in Edinburgh as well. Where I live down in Leaf won't be too specific, but uh, <laughs> it's a classic example of just how ridiculous council tax is getting. You know, the council tax band I'm in doesn't really have any relation to the the area anymore because it's just changed so much. So it is a tax that is in dire need of some kind of reform. Uh, and as you say, it just gets put, put off because it's it would be politically painful for them to do it. You would see a lot of people in Scotland potentially paying more, a huge kind of change in the system, but it's long overdue and it will be one of the key debates continuing in the coming years. One of the um, biggest spending commitments that was made yesterday was basically following the UK government in uprating benefits uh, or Scottish you know, devolved benefits by inflation, which has seen the cost of, um, I think it's the adult disability payment, rise by over a billion pounds for the next year. You know, It's a significant amount of funding has been put into this. And we had some expert commentary, didn't we, yesterday, kind of demonstrating or arguing that the decision to focus more heavily on social security is eating into spending power elsewhere within the government. I think there was a memorable line, wasn't there, from the IFS and from David Phillips, who said, 
you know, that the, the tax rises today wouldn't run the Scottish NHS for longer than two days, which gives a really good indication of, you know, how much pressure is on the government in a, in terms of both the health and social security parts of their budget, which are by far and away their biggest spending commitments. Yeah, and I think the IFS also said that in terms of the cuts expected to the public sector in Scotland would be more than in England and Wales because of the proportion of the budget that is spent on social security. Um, but that's a deliberate choice the Scottish government has made and they would stand behind it in a cost of living crisis. Things like the Scottish child payment are costing a lot of money. It's a, an increasing amount of the Scottish government's budget goes towards social security. And I think in the coming years, that will be something that they've got to come to terms with. Um, I think if you look at some of the Scottish Fiscal Commission analysis in their report, if anyone wants to dive into it. It's long. <laughs> yeah, there's interesting stuff about this, just in terms of the, the huge sum that will be spent on Social Security in Scotland in the coming years and the amount more that will be spent in terms of what the Scottish government actually gets from the UK government, uh, meaning that Scotland will either have to make cuts elsewhere or raise taxes to fund that. So there will be some quite serious decisions. Uh, and the other thing that is coming down the line is these, this, this always comes up in the budget, this issue of kind of income tax reconciliations, which is extremely complicated. It always gives me a headache when I'm trying to write stories about it, but it's essentially because of forecasting errors. Obviously, forecasting is not an exact science uh, in terms of how much income tax is expected and how much income tax will actually be raised. All those things are going to squeeze the Scottish government's budget. And an issue we've spoken about on this before, you sometimes hear stories or political attack lines about black holes looming in the budget. One of the weird things about it is they're not, I suppose, technically black holes because the Scottish government budget has to be balanced. You can't have holes that you'd fill through borrowing money. So they've got to be filled somehow. They've got to be coped with. Uh, but it just it's all about priorities, what you choose to spend money on. And I think that'll just get more and more difficult in the coming years. What did we make of the opposition response to the budget? We should probably cover off what, what they were saying. I think um, it was a bit of a mixed response in the Certainly, I, th- I think when we were watching it budget, we kind of thought that, you know, the co- Scottish Conservative response was a bit confused initially. And, you know, Scottish Labour seemed absolutely unwilling to have a tax position at all. Yeah, I think it's tricky for the Conservatives going into this when you've had a situation, as we're all very aware of, with uh, Liz Trust and the kind of mess that was made down south and the kind of U-turns that happened. So it was difficult for them to kind of have a leg to stand on just when it comes to political debate, even if they're making good points. But I think Conservatives obviously highlighting the impact of this tax difference between uh, Scotland and the rest of the UK, which is widening. So it's becoming more of an issue. Uh, and again, that's choices that have been made up here. The SNP would argue it's a more progressive system, but it, it does have an impact and it is widening. And there are anomalies as well. I mean, I don't want to get kind of too deep into the thicket of this, but because uh, I think national insurance is linked to the UK government's tax rate. Um, so there are anomalies in certain sections of income where you you end up paying quite a lot more tax in Scotland. But yeah, I thought uh, interesting that Labour's line on this was essentially that they support progressive tax policies, but if you're going to raise taxes, you've got to show that public services are benefiting from it. So you've got to show that it was worth it. Uh, and they would argue the S&P is not showing that public services in Scotland are suffering and that there's no point in going down this route unless you can improve public services. It is one of Scottish Labour's biggest open wounds, if you like, at the minute, and one that maybe the SNP, and the, particularly I think the Greens might want to poke and, you know, fiddle with over the over the coming years, is that they are a little bit confused when it comes to income tax policy specifically, due to the fact that, you know, they 
you know, Anasawa are very reluctant to commit to what they think should happen. I, I remember speaking to him a couple of months ago and um, on a very large wind turbine in Fife um, and asking him about you know the, the upcoming tax challenge for, for the Scottish government. And Anas's answer was, you know, well, we don't think we need to to raise tax, taxes to solve the cost of living crisis. And that is really about their UK-wide positioning because they can't be seen under Keir Starmer to be backing tax rises across England and, and Wales and and uh, and Scotland because they'll they'll potentially lose you know conservative swing voters that's a really difficult one for them given that particularly the greens are very pro progressive taxation want to bring in things like a wealth tax and are eating into labor on the left wing as we speak yeah i think it, especially because it's been a consistent kind of policy over the last few years that we've seen uh, just becoming more and more entrenched this kind of difference uh, in income tax rates uh, and I, I think you're right. I mean, it's, you're right that the problem that basically stems from the fact that UK Labour, Keir Starmer, is very reluctant to kind of pin his colours to the mask when it comes to specific policies at the moment. They're kind of wanting to keep their, just not get into the details, not get into the thick of it. Um, I mean, it's a kind of wider problem they have with other policies as well. But yeah, it's 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 tricky for Labour. I mean, we've spoken about this in this podcast before, when you look at the difference differences between Labour and the SNP in terms of their policies around these kind of issues, you would sometimes think that they, you know, hard to put cigarette paper between them in terms of both being broadly centre-left, particularly under Anna Sarwar, but obviously huge divides in the constitution. Um, it's much more obvious what the Conservative attack lines will go down. Um, but if you look at FMQs in the last few weeks, First Minister's questions in Holyrood, one of the things that Labour consistently raises is things like health, things like the state of basic public services in Scotland. So their argument is essentially that um, under the SNP, we've got huge waiting lists in the NHS. We've got these massive problems that aren't being sorted. Similar issues in education in terms of the stubborn attainment gap between richer and poorer pupils. So they're essentially saying that uh, the SNP stewardship of public services has not been good enough. Uh, and I think going forward, when you've got these kind of tax rises and this rhetoric that's coming from the SNP, particularly that these specific tax rises are for health and social care. There needs to be, Labour would argue, something to show from that. But one of the other things I suppose we should touch on, which you were kind of touching on at the beginning, is that the amount of money that this is raising for the health service is, is small when you look at the overall picture of Scotland. Yeah, it's one of these things that it's, uh, I think we, we, we're still to really dig into the actual impact of the budget decisions that have been made. But one of the things that was said yesterday by John Swinney was that all of the money raised from the income tax and land and buildings transaction tax and, and additional dwelling supplement tax, all of these you know increases that were announced yesterday will go straight into the health and social care budget. But there's a disagreement of opinion between the Scottish government and the Scottish Fiscal Commission as to actually how much these things will raise. Effectively, it comes down to a disagreement on what the status quo budget would have been for this year. Um, the Scottish government would argue or assume that if they hadn't done anything, all of the tax thresholds would have gone up by inflation, which would have obviously raised less tax due to you know pay not necessarily keeping up with inflation. While the Scottish um, Fiscal Commission assumed that the higher rate threshold would be frozen as it was. And this is more in line with kind of historic patterns. I think the the likelihood of the status quo position is put forward by the Scottish government of 
you know, these tax thresholds all going up by inflation was highly, highly unlikely to happen. But in short, that difference in assumption basically results in £390 million of inflation tax raises, which John Swinney claims is part of this 553, alongside the 129 on income tax changes, and I think 34 from land and building transaction tax. I expect we're going to hear a lot more about this from the Conservatives over the next few few weeks of, you know, SNP spin and it not actually being 553 million for for the health service. And in reality, I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is that so far it appears that, you know, the, the, the actual amount of additional cash in real terms rather than just cash terms is really, really small for the health service. And it's going to be small across the board and there'll be serious, you know, below inflation real terms cash cuts for most of the Scottish budget. Yeah. I mean I think it's um it's not so much a disagreement between the SFC and the Scottish Government. It's just a kind of difference in the difference assumptions they're making. Yeah. They're just making different assumptions and coming out different numbers. But you're right, it's it's spin in the sense that the S P have gone for the the way to make the figure look bigger. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's a small amount. I mean I suppose that kind of money shouldn't be sniffed at and you need to make money where you can. And that it's it's money that will make a difference, but it's just not a huge amount of money at all in terms of the overall amount of money that gets pumped into the health service every year. And I think one of the things as well we should touch on is that the budget yesterday did not make any decisions on public sector pay. Yeah. So that's going to be one of the issues coming up in the coming months. Uh, it's obviously led to huge disagreements in the last few weeks, months. We've had you know strike threats, teachers going on strike. Interestingly, despite a lot of the political rhetoric, probably more particularly down south about this, there is public support. If you look at polling, for example, teachers going on strike, nurses, all these kind of, obviously nurses doesn't apply in Scotland anymore, but this 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 issue of public sector pay will be a huge one. And they've essentially just kind of put it off into the future. It's a massive, it's a massive issue, isn't it? Because often they, I think in the past years, this is they, they would usually match public sector pay to around inflation, which I think is has has historically for the last for a long old time been around two percent, or they've frozen public sector pay in order to 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 save money. That's certainly been the case in in England. The reason why they've not done this, obviously, is that they don't want the current industrialist disputes, particularly with teachers and the ongoing ones with NHS staff to look next year and go, oh, look, that's a 10% inflation rise, but you're only giving us in your public sector pay deal 5%. Well, we'll ask for more now. They don't want to effectively ruin the negotiations that are going on now um, ahead of ahead of negotiations that will almost certainly repeat next year, given that the scale of inflation is so high. That could have a real impact, though, I think, on this budget. I think that is the you're right to highlight it. And we, you know, potentially it's been missed yesterday amongst the, the ta- income tax lines, but it's certainly probably the biggest remaining piece, piece of expenditure that they're yet to really set out across the public sector. I think there's something like 330,000 public sector employees across Scotland. It's not, you know, it's not piddling money. The last thing I'd highlight about the budget, and particularly the SFC's forecasts, is uh, in Scotland, economic performance is continuing to lag behind England. And one of the things that they highlighted in a a briefing to journalists today is that the chunk of this is basically to do with demographics, Scotland's ageing population. But this is something that I think the Scottish government is going to have to 
really grapple with in the coming years. Um, I mean, it is really driving economic performance. It's a long-term issue. It's extremely difficult to solve. Uh, it ties into all sorts of different things, including some of their favorite hobby horses, such as Brexit and the Im- impact and migration. But I think one of the things to look out for next year uh, is a report that's coming out, expected to come out from the Scottish Fiscal Commission uh, in sometime in the spring, which is going to focus on some of these long-term issues. Uh, and I think sometimes when we do budgets, you get very kind of stuck in the, the kind of immediate lines and the immediate effect in next year. And it's obvious why that would be the case. But these longer-term issues are having such an impact and will only get worse, potentially. Yeah, and I, we did promise that we'd talk a little bit about the drama that happened prior to the budget yesterday. In short, the BBC were leaked or managed to confirm that the budget was going to increase the top rate uh, income tax rate and also the higher rate income tax rate. And it caused a bit of a stooshy, not to give you the name of a competitive podcast or competitor podcast. Um Take it, take us through it. I mean, it was a bit of a ridiculous scenario. There were lots of journalists in the room uh, in Hollywood going, why in God's name are they delaying this by? I think it was 45 minutes in the end because of this leak. Yeah, I mean, I suppose this is a long running issue between the Scottish Parliament's presiding officer, Alison Johnson, and the Scottish government and essentially annoyance when information about statements or in this case, you know, a major event in Hollywood gets leaked to the media before it's delivered in Parliament. So the idea is that MSP should always hear about it first. It should always be delivered in Parliament first. You've got to, you know, quote unquote, show respect for Parliament in that way. I think it's the ultimate Hollywood bubble story in the sense that the budget was delayed for, you know, 40, 45 minutes. Who who cares? But also, you know, as journalists, it's just extremely hard to care about someone leaking information. It's, you know, our we kind of bread and butter. Of yeah, as far as I'm concerned, keep leaking. <laughs> keep Keep leaking anything from the government. And leak it to us, please, if you're listening, civil servants, you know, we're willing. Yeah, it's just, just not something I can get annoyed about. I appreciate where Parliament would, you know, it's this kind of clash between the executive and the Parliament and where power lies and who's getting their respect, their due. I can totally appreciate what Alison Johnson would care about this. And to be fair to her, it's something she's highlighted before, so she did have to kind of put her foot down in some way. But in terms of the overall picture of yesterday, it added some drama to it just because there was this delay, there was lots of anger in the chamber, there's you know Myrtle Fraser, the Scottish Conservative MSP, raising points of order, you know, all this kind of talk about how disgraceful it was. MSPs very much not happy about it. And there was also an implication from John Swinney at one point that it might have come from the leak might have come from opposition parties, which they were furiously denying. So it, it created drama. That's always good. But yeah, overall, who cares? <laughs> And that is the note that we will end this week's podcast on. We will hopefully have an an episode next week, but we'll have to see how it goes. I think this is likely to be the last episode of the year. So thank you very much, Alistair, for joining us. Thank you very much for listening at home. We hope you have a lovely Christmas and a happy new year.